everybody. We're really excited to announce that on Friday, August 19, we are going to be doing our first ever live show at the New York City Pinball Championships. Now, some of you may remember our emergency episode back in the day where we talked about Deep Root Pinball and the absolute torrent of scandals that came along with some of the worst pinball machines ever made. And if you don't know about it, go listen to the episode. But we're going to follow up on that story because, hey, history keeps happening in the world of pinball. So head on over to nycpinballchamps.com to get more information about that. And if you would like to get a discount, check out our Patreon. What? So, Josh, you got hit by a truck? Yes. Uh, yeah, I was. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Just, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Casually. No. Um. So uh, Jeff Bezos yep, and I. Me. Are you might be wondering how I got myself into this situation? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was uh crossing the street just like a block away from my house. Uh, and also I, I just moved, so like, you, yeah, your, your new home. I'm still getting used to like the streets, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, these streets, uh, I am, I'm not made for these streets, I guess. Mm. So I was crossing the street and uh-huh. uh, I was walking parallel. Legally? Uh, yeah, yeah, legally. Okay. And I was yeah. walking parallel to uh, an Amazon delivery truck, which I didn't notice because I had okay, so my it headphones was like, on. It was, it was on the road that crossed yeah. at an intersection, the street that you were crossing. So it's like mm-hmm. a T yeah. intersection, right? Where it's mm-hmm. just the road and then there's the T. And so I was looking down what would I guess be the, the stem of the T in this case, making okay. sure that there was no traffic that would be headed up toward me. Not yeah, noticing that the Amazon delivery truck over my left hand shoulder uh, was just kind of like rolling right through that stop sign. Lo and behold, I moved to the crosswalk and bam, I am on the ground. And my Jesus. first thought was like it knocked you over. Yeah, it knocked me right over. This is so I skinned my knees. My headphones fell Jesus. off of my. Uh, you like, weren't like under it at all, were you? Not quite, but it was really close. If 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 she had not stopped the truck, I would have gotten rolled over by its front right tire. Jesus, dude. So I sprung back up immediately. Was like cussing up a fucking blue streak. Yeah. Um, I made the mistake of not, you know, taking down the license plate or anything yeah, like yeah. that, because what I should have done was immediately gotten all of that documentation and then called mm-hmm. up Salino and Barnes and just said, like, hey, <laughs> yes. I have a case for you. <laughs> Salino and Barnes? Both of them. Yeah, I'll bring. They, they, they kind of had a breakup. You yeah. Know, and Barnes died in out of a helicopter. <laughs> helicopter accident or yeah, something. So you're, I hope so this, so this truck okay. killed you. Yes. This truck killed you. And so, but like, you're also still alive. It's like a quantum immortality thing. So the live part of you is calling up Salino and, and the, the dead, dead part, part of me of is calling Barnes. That's exactly right. right. Yes, right. I, I have. Okay. I just want to, I just want to clarify for everyone out there that this is what we were told. This is what Josh texted us uh, about when we were about to like record this. Uh, he said, owing to the fact that I got hit by a truck yesterday, don't worry, I'm fine, and then went to a Mets game. I am quite tired and would prefer to do remote. The way you buried the lead <laughs> so hard, like, we were concerned that you had, like, been thrown through the air, but we're just so you glad you're fine. okay. I told you I was fine. I said I'm fine. I don't know about we, because I was just pretending I had never heard of it before this whole exchange. So many
welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, burying the lead since 2021. I'm the worst of all possible Joshes. I'm the worst of all possible AJs. And I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. And for our listeners who are not New Yorkers and don't know what Salino and Barnes is, mm. they're the New York equivalent of Keller and Keller. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. But since all of our listeners are in Albuquerque, now they know what I'm talking about. Perfect. Yes, thank you. God fucking damn it. <laughs> They're basically, yeah, uh, the Saul Goodman of the New York City. Uh, hey, hey, guys, guys, do you do you smell that? That smells like the smell of jet fuel and and motorcycles hitting hot pavement. I oh think we're on a, a oh. highway. I think we're on a highway to the danger zone. Oh shit! We're here to talk about Top Gun, folks. The it's uh, Top Gun Day, 1986, uh, seminal classic. That uh, seminal is right. It's uh, more like seminal uh, with the way that all these guys appear to seminal means. uh, (laughs) But I needed to pronounce seminal. But I needed to say seminal. But that's what seminal fluid. It's okay. Okay, you're seminal fluid. (laughs) Seminal fluid had me a blast. (laughs) I mean, weren't we all at some point? We jacked off. half. Under the dock. Oh, boy. Uh, We jacked off, and then we sucked cock. Yes! (laughs) Yes! This is the kind of homoeroticism we got to bring to today's episode, because Tony Scott sure fucking did. He sure did. Yes, he did. He he put his whole Tony Scussy into it. His entire Tony Scussy. You know, Top Gun (laughs) is definitely something that's in sort of the cultural zeitgeist right now, because obviously... Uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, Top Gun Maverick was released by Paramount. It is. Whoa, there was a sequel? I know, crazy, I right? I haven't heard anything about this, especially from you specifically, Shut the Josh. fuck up. <laughs> um, Top Gun Maverick is uh, my early contender for movie of the year. Uh, it is also a movie that you've seen recently, and you fixate on movies that you've seen recently. That's right, because I don't see movies very often. Yeah, uh, but, but also like movies you like, like you know, you fixate yeah. on movies that you generally like. Because and I, generally, I don't he like movies. See movies. Well, but I, I see movies sometimes, but it's rare that I really, yeah. really enjoy a film. Ooh, it's a film. Shut it's, the fuck up. It's <laughs> cinema. <laughs> so that you know, we won't, we're not going to talk too much about Top Gun Maverick. Um, It'll really, come up. But every time Josh mentions it, take a drink. That's right. Our main focus today is mostly going to be on 1986's Top Gun, the film that uh, Tony Scott directed that also really put Tom Cruise on the map as an action star. Yeah, he was already a star star. He was, you know, a big contract. It was it was a big deal to get him for this movie, but he had not done a fucking like blockbuster movie. Right. 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 And it took some convincing uh, to get him on board. He was very concerned that it was going to be a, quote, flash dance in the sky, which would be like a blockbuster. But he wanted something with a little bit more depth to it. And I'm sure that was probably assuaged by the amount of zeros uh, after the one on his paycheck. Uh, well, apparently it was assuaged by them putting him on a plane and just <laughs> like doing a shit ton of maneuvers and having him almost black out on it. And he landed and was like, this was the best experience of my life. That's well, how he sounds in real life. By well, the way. I think not, yeah, not oh, yeah. He definitely it caught me, Thomas Cruise, Mapatha the Fourth. <laughs> he definitely caught an adrenaline rush from this film that I feel yeah. like he has been chasing ever since. Like yes, clearly absolutely. something about doing this movie changed him as a person, even if it didn't exactly change American cinema as a whole. <laughs> it it certainly changed the numbers of people signing up to be Navy pilots, though. That that's sort of like and, it's and even more signing up to be Air Force pilots. 
which is because <laughs> they weren't paying very close attention. Yeah, no, no. There were planes. <laughs> and that's how this movie opens is just with a lot of plane porn. Yeah. This movie opens with like a factual title card. It's like this is when the Navy built this specific aerial program. It was in 1969. This, this nice. school that gets called Top Gun. This is their story. Chunk, chunk. And um, <laughs> the inspiration for this movie was an article called Top Guns with uh, with an S at the end, which mm. once they got the naval consultants on board to make the movie, they were like, it's Top Gun. It's not guns. It's gun. It's not the people. It's the place. Drop the S. It's cleaner. And it was this article written by Ehud Yone for California Magazine. Hmm. And more specifically for the screenwriters, it was this one photo from the cockpit where one of the pilots, C.J. Heatley, who went by the nickname Heater, took a a picture facing Mm -hmm. behind himself of the back of the cockpit and also the other planes flying just uh, behind him. Uh, You can check this picture out still. It's a a very famous picture. Um, Heater is still a photographer. He sells photos. You can go to (laughs) heaterpixpix.com and see the picture right there. It's called Star Wars on Earth. So we're going into the danger zone. And uh, Tony Tony Scott is, is of course, uh, Ridley Scott's brother. Yeah, Tony Scott and Ridley Scott. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They were both commercial directors, the two of them. Yep. Okay. Both British directors of commercials. And that's actually what got Tony Scott this gig. So he directed a, because there wasn't, there wa- there weren't a whole lot of fucking like dog fighting movies made these days. There were a few in like the 20s and 30s, a little bit in the 50s after oh, World War II. But like, one, we weren't making a whole shit ton of pro-war movies. Right, right. Like the only example you get of a good dog fighting movie in like recent years was Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Now, right. we, we did have the right stuff just a few years before this, and that had a lot of flying and going fast, but, you know, n- nothing that involves, like, the interrelation of different aerial uh, objects in, well, in, in space or whatever. I think part of that, too, might be that it is difficult to portray a dogfight in yeah. cinema in a way where it's easy to follow where you are in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, I think... Yeah, you just, you just, you lose, and, and to do it in a fun way, too. Right. You can lose all sense of, like, speed or scale. And we'll talk about this in a little bit. I, I feel like Top Gun doesn't entirely nail it, but part of mm-hmm. it is just the limitations of the tools that were available at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Tony Scott had directed a commercial for Saab, the Swedish car manufacturer. That's S-A-A-B. Not yes. S-O-B. Yeah. Son of a That's bitch. what we are. That's we how are Swedish is. <laughs> is that what it stands for? Son of a bitch? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> They're just like, ah, oh, Henrik Lundqvist, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had made this commercial for Saab that uses like a, a Saab starting up and accelerating and the headlights turning on and shit with like an airplane uh, like a fighter jet about to take off oh, and the thrusters sure. turning on and things like so that. So you get that feeling of velocity, of speed, uh-huh. of power. And, and 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 of weight and like the heaviness right. of it. So Yeah, it's it, a Michael it, Bay it was, thing of like making you want to fuck an object. Like he shoots yes. all objects like they're pornography basically. Right. Which is what happens when you come from commercials like Michael Bay did and mm-hmm. like Tony Scott did. Yeah. that That's more or less how this came to be. This was a movie that got, you know, it started with the screenwriters, classic kind of stuff. It was uh, Jim Cash and Jack Epps who also wrote Anaconda. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> and, and like uh, they wrote Dick Tracy. They wrote Anacondas. And it got a few drafts. Eisner and Katzenberg were the heads of Paramount at this time. 
and they mm-hmm. fucked off, went to Disney. And as we're seeing with HBO right now, whenever you have a change of leadership at a studio, they like to just sort of shit can everything that was in the bag and start anew. Yeah, I think this it's, ended it's up, an ego yeah. thing. I uh-huh. feel like, right? It's like, well, right. well, because well, this that's is why you're taking. I want to run the uh-huh. studio. That's why you're taking over a movie studio right. and not, you know, IBM or something. Right. Yeah. So they this ends up being really good for Top Gun because they were kind of put on ice and the new executives came in and they're like, we want to sit down with all of our screenwriters and talk to them and blah, 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 blah. And they got this script and they were like, fine, fuck it, let's do it. Let's make the Top Gun movie. Well, I mean, it's so funny because, you know, we're coming from the 70s, which was just so anti-American military, you know, right. Yeah. You got got like platoon, uh, you have apocalypse. Now you have all these films that are just so deer fiercely and the deer hunter, of course. Um, Well, the, uh, yeah, I mean the, the end and I put end in air quotes of the Vietnam war was only a decade before this film Mm -hmm. was made. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. That this, the swing would happen this extreme too, because you know, a lot of people's main criticism of Top Gun is that it is just military propaganda. And, That is certainly a part of it. I was surprised watching it again for this podcast that it's it's not quite a hundred percent propaganda. Like there is kind of a story here and kind of an arc. Yeah, here. it's 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 not the Green Berets, no, or, or we were soldiers or something. It's- yes, <laughs> and there's like it shows like consequences. Like you know, there is a piece of like mechanical failure that ends up with the death of a, a cadet. Like it doesn't like spoiler alert. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> which they had to Top change because that was going to be an in-air collision. And oh, they were like, no, we can't have a mid-air collision. This is the Navy. We don't have mid-air collisions, right. so they had to come up with this whole canopy thing. Let's uh, let's describe. Let's paint a picture with our words of what happens in the opening title sequence of Top Gun. A plane takes off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Pretty much it. Yep. Several planes take off. No! No! (laughs) No! (laughs) No. No, they're not just planes. They're my friends. They're my friends. They go, (laughs) and I want to fuck them. I want to fuck every one of those planes. To me, the title sequence is, I, I will admit, I think that part of my affinity for this title sequence is that they basically recreated it almost shot for shot in Maverick and yeah. made it Take a, a lot better. But with that said, there's something cool about the way that the movie starts by showing you all of these airmen who are, you know, getting the planes ready to go. They're, and and they're, these are real airmen. This right. is on a real aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. So they're just taking footage of what's already just the day-to-day operations. There's a lot of sure. like very low angles, uh, lots of close-ups, people moving around. You hear the sort of roar of the jet engines. It's all uh, underscored. And when I say underscored, I mean it's pretty much at the same volume level as uh-huh. the theme from Top Gun, which I love personally. Well, until the guitars come in, then I don't like it so much. But it's oh, the... And... I would say actually yeah. stitch in the real thing there, Brian. Dun, 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 dun. No. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Just planes running. It's, going it's across just the... every 80s movie. It's just the yeah. score for every 80s movie. But yeah, it, also, it's not... like, it also sounds like The Firm. Like it sounds like the opening to The Firm. <laughs> and it's it's two completely different experiences. But the synth actually sets you up AJ for both only movies. saw lawyer movies growing up. That's true. My parents were very adamant that I only understand their world of being lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like Harold Faltermeyer here is sort of like setting the mm-hmm. tone with these yeah. deep synths and these like, you know, delayed drums and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then we go from the preparation 
to fucking Kenny Loggins highway to the danger zone and the planes start fucking taking off. Yeah, here we got Giorgio Moroder. Uh, and he wrote this song with his Ferrari mechanic. That's who the lyricist is for this. Wait, what? Really? What? <laughs> That's amazing. Which I guess is why it's about highways. I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they, you're right. It doesn't make a, sense for a flight movie to be talking about know, a highway he, at all. I hadn't even thought about that. He was my assistant and he was my mechanic and, and we were talking about it. And, and and he was actually a very good lyricist. And so I thought, we'd we, yeah, we'd use that idea and we'd write that song. And this was, I think it was supposed to be Toto, actually. Um, Kenny oh, Loggins wow. ended up writing his own song for a later point in this movie, which we will absolutely get to. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and uh, they couldn't get Toto at the end of the day, so then they were able to get Loggins. I'm yeah. sad we never got their version of "I Bless the Rains" down in Miramar. I think that would have been like mm. a real a real hit well, among I, me, the San Diegan. Absolutely. <laughs> um, although jokes aside, at this point, Toto, you know, they Joseph Williams was the lead singer at this point, so they mm. were already oh, wow. making more of the pivot into that world of being like more synth driven than mm, the older mm-hmm. more guitar-y version and this was happening everywhere in the 80s and right, this right. soundtrack is such a study in contrasts like <laughs> yeah 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 this might be an interesting time to sort of talk about the aesthetics of this film a little bit too like sure, yeah. from the music to the visuals right yeah so um, this whole movie is shot at sunset <laughs> like every opportunity they have to do golden hour shots and backlighting specifically, yeah, they're going to take it. There was even like a story when they're on the aircraft carrier where the aircraft carrier turned around as they were going to get their their big like backlit shots. Yeah. And Tony Scott was like, what? no, you can't do this. He's like, <laughs> fuck you. I'm going, you know, it's like, I'm a fucking Navy guy. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, you can't stop a aircraft He's carrier like, well, how, how much would it cost like if we rented the aircraft carrier, like if if we kept going in this direction for like 18 minutes, how much would that cost? And he was like uh, $20,000 or something like that. So Tony Scott went down uh, into his own quarters and like wrote a check. Oh, my God. For $20, wow. Just so captain. he could get even more golden hour. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got to say, it's always really jarring, too, when shots aren't in the golden hour in this movie, because they are yeah. just like such out of the norm. There's a part where they're just like driving around in the daytime. I'm like, where did, where did Top Gun go? <laughs> Where's Top Gun? Where is Top Gun? I need to see him fly through the air and kill his wingman. Anyway. <laughs> but I think other than the sort of audio visual part of this, I mean, again, audio wise, right? Yeah. Synthesizers are taking over the world. Yeah. Yes. Big uh, engine sounds, big rumbling and yep. bass and wishes. But I think that the thing that's important to note is that these aesthetics also reflect a cultural shift that was going on where American soft power was reaching its apex. I mean, at this point, you know, U.S. naval power is pretty much getting close to reaching its peak. And additionally, the Cold War is, we don't know this yet, but it's going to be over in three years. This is 1986, and we're very quickly moving toward 1989. Uh, You know, Solidarity uh, has already peeled Poland away from the USSR. And so, like, it's but what's interesting is that they use the Indian Ocean as sort of yeah. the staging area for all of this jet action. It's, it's the bookend for this movie. It's right. at the beginning and at the end. 
Right. And it they just never named the enemy. Like, uh, apparently they don't right. name the enemy in Top Gun Maverick as well, but uh, that's another shot for those keeping track at home. Um, <laughs> no, 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 it's only when Josh mentions oh, it's it. Josh, if it's great. all three of us, it would be irresponsible, but... Um, that's true. That's just, <laughs> yeah, we like want to promote sequel, good drinking habits the, the on sequel, this podcast. it's like, it's Iran, but it's not named. Here, I mean, they say MIG, but they make up a name of a model of plane that doesn't exist. But it's the Soviets. Um, like, it's, it's the very Soviets. clearly the Soviets. You see the red yeah. star, they're white guys, it's the Soviets. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. What I'd love to do here is just for our listeners to provide a little bit more context about what was actually going on geopolitically. Yeah, yeah let's This do is it. going to also, when we get to the end of this movie, this is when a lot of this stuff becomes honestly very strange, like, <laughs> yeah, knowing what was yeah. actually going on. Brian uh, helped with researching a little bit of this, and we got this article by Chandra Kumar that was published in International Affairs in 1984. We'll link it in the description because this isn't this isn't like widely known information. Right. It's not like, oh, yeah, the Indian Ocean. We were doing some shit there. So it was all just like paywalled academic articles and something from the fucking Woodrow Wilson Institute. Right. <laughs> Do you like your cousin? I like my cousin. <laughs> That's my Woodrow Wilson impression. That's great. Thank you. So Britain really exercised hegemony over India and then by extension, you know, the Indian Ocean. Up yeah. until like the mid 60s. And then in 1968, Harold Wilson announced that the British would be withdrawing all of their forces from east of Suez. And so mm-hmm. this power vacuum was immediately created. And naturally, the two main players that swooped right in were the Soviet Union yeah. being right there and the United States having a great deal of uh, naval presence due to their bases across the Pacific Ocean all the way over to Japan, right? Well, and India right. remained sort of non-aligned. Exactly. Too. Even though those powers remained unaligned because mm-hmm. they didn't want to get involved into this conflict, the regional powers invariably were influenced by this nevertheless because, again, of the fact that both sides were projecting so much naval power yeah. into the ocean. Around right. 40% of the world lives along the Indian Ocean. So, like... Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, that's why it's, you know, the British went after it centuries ago. It's a lot of people and it's a lot of resources. Right. right. And, and at that time, too, due to the fact that these countries were still, quote unquote, third world, yeah. uh, there was very right. little demand for those resources, organic demand. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. getting access to the oil and stuff like that could prove p- tremendously useful both for domestic uses and to be able to, you know, export to allies as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so just to put it in very clear simplified terms it's the u.s versus ussr yet we more or less are no one can deny that these are difficult times is that from chess that's from chess baby between 30 and 40 u.s combat and support ships are believed to be permanently present in the indian ocean with diego Mm -hmm. garcia the coral atoll in the center of the indian ocean which has been the subject of so much controversy in recent years as the main base for this activity Whereas the Soviets, meanwhile, uh, have had a major base uh, in Yemen, uh, and they were also oh, able huh. to project uh, their naval forces out of Ethiopia. So okay. um, all told, that really the point of this is, just as was the case in land conflicts like, say, yeah. Afghanistan uh, or Vietnam, mm-hmm. where there was so much, these or Korea, where these... Areas and having control of these areas was believed by these great powers to be the thing that would set the course of the future of the world. 
so too was the ocean important. And so, uh, are you saying that oceans were now battlefields? What's, <gasps> what's that a reference to, Brian? Master and commander, the far side of the world. <laughs> the lesser of two weevils instead of evils, see. Russell Crowe cracks up a whole table of men. They're eating, they're bonding, they're fighting on the high seas for supremacy of the Indian Ocean. And guess what? What? Same thing's happening in Top Gun. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Russell Crowe may not be present in Top Gun in the Indian Ocean, but Mm. the forces that were attempting to project power there very much were. (laughs) And so, too, were, yes, Russell Crowe's vibes. The big point that I'm trying to make here to pull this all together is that if there were a situation, as is portrayed at the very beginning of this movie, where Russian MiGs basically sort of entered that neutral zone, it would probably be a situation where, particularly if the ships were close to Diego Garcia, which uh, Mm -hmm. is right near the Chagos Islands, which was a a joint uh, British-U.S. naval base, it's very much within a realm of uh, possibility that the United States would, in fact, send out a carrier and scramble jets. That's real. That's a real thing. It sounds like they did a lot of work to try to figure out what the plausible place for any of this happening is. And it's also the place that would involve the Navy as opposed to, like, Army Air Force, whereas, like, Alaska, maybe that would be something different. Although, actually, right. and we, didn't, is, we is, didn't do this, much saber rattling over Alaska by this point. No, no. Um, but definitely getting the Navy as well as actually the Air Force uh, yeah. in, in the Indian Ocean. That's all very much within the realm of reality. So we are in the Indian Ocean and we have launched planes into the sky in a very sexy opening sequence. Um, if you love planes, you are going to love the shit out of this movie. Yeah. If, if, if you if you as a kid. Got that TV commercial for lots and lots of planes on order now. And you also get lots and lots of trains for no additional cost. (laughs) Uh And you were like, I'm going to jump on this deal. And you called that 1-800 number. Yes. This is the movie for you. Brian, I feel like even though we are recording remotely today, you are staring straight at me while you say that. (laughs) Yeah, I felt it. It it shot right into Josh's soul. (laughs) I, I, no jokes, am that kid. Uh, One of my absolute Mm -hmm. favorite videotapes growing up was a tape called Road Construction Ahead, which was just a half hour (laughs) of... excavators (laughs) steamrollers dynamite other various things and these large pieces of machinery would move earth to build a new road to music that sounded a lot like the music in top gun You're describing that. It's like it's draining all the energy from me. It's like I'm 10 and you've taken me into Nordstrom and expected me to just kind of stand around. Like I feel myself crumbling into the ground. All right, folks, this was a preview of a premium episode of our show. If you want to hear the rest, go on over to patreon.com slash worst of all. Again, that is patreon.com slash worst of all. All one word and consider becoming a patron. If you do so, you can get a discount to come see us at the New York City Pinball Championships Friday the 19th of August in this, the year of our Lord, 2022. If you'd like to see us either way or just go to the Pinball Championships either way with that discount code, just check the link in the episode description and we'd be happy to see you there. Anyway, until next week, 